From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. You may recognize the name James Stavridis. He is a four-star general, a retired admiral, and former Supreme Allied Commander. And in addition to all that, he's the author of a book called Sailing True North, Ten Admirals and the Voyage of Character. And before we get into uh, Donald Trump and all the rest of it, uh, you tell the stories uh, in in this book of of admirals going back to um, Themistocles in uh, ancient Greece and uh, Sir Francis Drake. In going through these stories, uh, what do you learn about leadership, and can it be applied to civilian life? For example, how do you know if your boss is a good leader? You absolutely can. And here we ought to just make a, a, a distinction between leadership, very important. That's the big door that's swinging out there, the big door of influencing others. But that big door of leadership swings on a small hinge called character. That's the human heart. It's those qualities of uh, resilience, humility, balance, the kinds of things that we admire in people. Um, to be a great leader the door has to swing on those small elements of character. So that's what the book is about. And I think it's applicable for everyone, whether you're running an art gallery in Seattle or you are a barista in Tampa or you are a working mom organizing three kids around a kitchen table. These these principles of character, I think, at the end of the day, are crucial for anybody in any walk of life. So the qualities necessary in a good leader, you put creativity at the top. Explain that. I do. I think that at the end of the day, that ability to challenge tradition, to try the new is the crucial quality of leadership and and is really a quality of character. It comes from inside. And so um, if you look at the admirals in Sailing True North, they were all innovators. They were all creative. But look at someone like Admiral Hyman Rickover, who uh, is an immigrant to the United States. He's Jewish. He's small of physical stature. Um, yet he has this decisiveness and belief in nuclear power and is determined to drag the Navy into the nuclear world. And the reason we have safe nuclear power operations at sea today can be traced to the innovation, the creativity of someone like uh, Hyman Rickover. And your own experience with uh, having to be creative and break the mold, this happened after 9-11. Tell me about this project that you were assigned to, Deep Blue. Right after 9-11, and I was in the Pentagon. I was on the side of the building that the airplane hit. I actually watched the airplane hit the Pentagon. It made a pretty, as you can imagine, a pretty distinctive impression on me. Yeah. Immediately afterward, as a one-star rear admiral, I was uh, directed to stand up a small organization called Deep Blue, and our charter was innovation. It was creativity. It was coming up with new solutions because we saw that we had a new and different kind of opponent in al-Qaeda. And so I was given the chance to pick uh, 20 officers from all across the Navy, the best and brightest put them together as a team, and we generated new ideas for a couple of years that led to a, a great deal of innovation in the U.S. Navy. I'm, I'm very proud of that work. And I think that um, as I look back on these admirals in history and sailing true north, the admiral most like that who had that charter was a British admiral named Sir Jackie Fisher, 
at the turn of the last century, he drags the British Navy out of the age of sail, out of wooden hulls, out of muzzle-loading cannon. By the time he leaves office, um, steel ships, uh, fuel-oiled uh, propulsion systems, torpedoes are on the horizon, submarines are coming, advanced fire control systems. It's, it's a true uh, charter to change an organization. And uh, I, I was privileged to be part of it at Deep Blue. Uh, Jackie Fisher performed that function for the Royal Navy 120 years ago. So would you, would you say then that we stand well prepared to deal with any terrorist threats that might emerge as a result of that work? I think that we are far, far ahead of where we were. And if you think about it, We've not had um, a 9-11-like event uh, since uh, in almost 20 years. We have had some isolated terrorist incidents in the United States, in Orlando and Southern California, more lone gunmen, more inspired by now the Islamic State as opposed to al-Qaeda. But we are vastly better at uh, dealing with terrorism than we were certainly before 9-11. Doesn't mean we don't still have work to do around the world. And, and I'll close on this point by saying, at the end of the day, if we're gonna defeat terrorism, it's not gonna be through military solutions. Over the long throw, it's gonna be through education. It's gonna be through playing the long game um, and and moving ideas at scale in these societies and also helping provide a framework for uh, individuals to, to see a path to a better life. I mean, that's what's driving the Arab Spring. That's what's driving many of these uh, many of these terrorist groups at this point. So we still have enormous work to do. But uh, innovation, I think, in both dimensions will be important. And we talk about that in Sailing True North. Right. So based on your experience in, in fighting terrorism, uh, it, uh, is it still necessary for us to have soldiers in the Middle East trying to stop them before they come here? Are they indeed trying to come here? And does our presence make a difference over there? Um, let's just do the numbers quickly to remind everybody and put it in perspective. When I commanded the NATO mission in Afghanistan, there were 150,000 troops there. At peak in Iraq, there were 185,000 troops there. Um, we've already brought home 95 plus percent of those troops. We only have 5,000 troops left in Iraq. We have 10,000 troops in Afghanistan. We're down to about 500 troops in Syria. So these are comparatively very small numbers. Um, during the peak of the operations I just mentioned, we were losing 20 soldiers a week were being killed in combat. Now we, we might lose 10 a year. Um, we, we have already pulled out the vast majority of troops. That's a long way of saying I think there are still uh, important roles to play for small numbers of troops uh, in specific counter terrorist missions, for example, in Syria, supporting the Iraqis, uh, and certainly still in Afghanistan. Although, again, we've pulled 95% of those troops back. I think having small numbers forward uh, does help us, yes. So did the president do the right thing or the wrong thing in taking those troops out of Syria? 
I think he I think he did the wrong thing. And um, he's now put he took kind of 2000 out. Now he's kind of put 500 back in. I think the right number is somewhere around 1000 to 1500 troops. And the mission is against the Islamic State. And um, we ought to be careful. You're out there on the West Coast. You know what a forest fire looks like. Mm -hmm. When a forest fire burns, you can put out that fire, but there's still embers on the ground. And unless we are mindful of those embers in the Middle East, they can reflash. So I think a small number of troops makes a lot of sense there. Now, unlike a lot of former military leaders, you've been you've been pretty vocal in retirement about the president, the way the White House is run. You uh, you called it a uh, a chaos, a chaos machine. And and you say that Trump uh, misjudged some of the generals that he chose to bring on. He was looking for somebody with Mc- with machismo, and instead, what he got was thoughtfulness. You know, he was looking for a patent, and he got he got philosophers to, to hear him speak about it. So, so tell me about that. Why aren't you working for the Trump administration? Were you ever asked? I was, and um, I am not working for the Trump administration because I felt uh, I had policy differences. And my own approach, uh, I try not to be personally critical of the president. I'm not sure there's a point in that. I try and focus on policy matters. When I think the administration does something that makes sense, for example, I think they're handling Venezuela reasonably well, putting sanctions, working with our allies and partners in Latin America to deal with that crisis. I think what they're doing in North Korea makes sense, using sanctions. Let's use diplomacy. Yeah, it's frustrating, takes a long time, but I think that uh, they have done reasonably well. Where they do something I disagree with, for example, pulling out of the Paris Climate Agreement, I think is a very bad mistake. So my view, the role of not only retired admirals, but retired ambassadors and retired CIA officers and people that have firsthand knowledge about events in the world or in the government, I think have a certain obligation to share their views and to uh, contribute to conversations that lead us to a better place. In terms of the president and the generals, I think you categorize it correctly. He hired a bunch of generals thinking they would be uh, people who would immediately want to leap into combat and drive the military forward. And instead, he met the kind of uh, people that I know in senior ranks of the military, which is to say, pretty thoughtful, pretty sensible, pretty moderate, and not predisposed to move out in sudden anger, but rather, let's deal with this, let's come up with a plan, let's think our way through this. That's part of the lesson of sailing true north. Each of these admirals was able to meet a challenge and thoughtfully uh, respond to it. You say it was a mistake to drop out of the Paris climate agreements. As a, as a military man, why, why do you think that's a, a military concern? Uh, because by doing so, we do not have opportunities to alleviate growing uh, climate challenges and growing climate challenges will lead to conflict. I'll give you an example. Uh, one is drought, which has uh, been tied pretty definitively to uh, climate change and global temperature warming. That is driving conflict in many regions of the world. Secondly, rising sea levels are going to impact uh, populations, our own naval bases, for example, in Norfolk, by mid to late 21st century will be greatly reduced. Look up in the Arctic where the ice is melting. As that ice melts, you're going to find the shipping lanes open up and 
hydrocarbons will be exposed. It'll lead to conflict between Russia on one side of the Arctic and the five NATO nations that are on the other side of the Arctic. So there are significant uh, challenges that are national security challenges that derive from not addressing climate change, which I think is real. And one more thing on uh, on Ukraine and the need for military aid and, of course, Donald Trump's uh, apparent involvement in trying to strike some sort of a deal for information on uh, on corruption there. Uh, what do you think about that? And do you think impeachment is in order as a result of his conduct? Um, in terms of the need for military aid, which is my area of expertise, um, it is clear to me that because Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine and maintains thousands of troops there and is guiding the insurrection in southeast Ukraine, uh, Ukraine desperately needs that aid. Um, if, as the Democrats allege, the president uh, used the power of his office to try and uh, threaten to choke off that aid, then I think that is an extremely serious matter and ought to be thoroughly investigated. In terms of final judgment, uh, like any other citizen, I hope, I'm waiting to see actual transcripts, see public testimony, and I think that we need to follow the facts wherever they lead without fear or favor. Uh, but again, my area of expertise is the military aid itself, crucial. And uh, using that as a bargaining chip is inappropriate in my view. If you had taken that job with the Trump administration and uh, he had given you an order, or if you were you know, still an admiral in the, in the military and the president had given you an order that you, you knew to be dangerous to the country's national security, what would you do? Um, if it were an illegal order, and I'll give you an example in a moment, if it were an illegal order, I would refuse to obey it. I would go to the Secretary of Defense, uh, my boss, if in this hypothesis where I'm still on active duty, and I would say, I'm not going to obey this illegal order. An illegal order would be, for example, indiscriminate bombing of uh, a city without concern for civilian casualties and collateral damage. An illegal order would be to torture detainees. Um, illegal order, I would never obey, and I would go to my boss, the Secretary of Defense, protest the order, and then that's the challenge of the Secretary of Defense to approach the president and explain that's an illegal order, here's why we're not following it. If it were, if you will, a judgment call, um, pull all the troops out of uh, Syria. Uh, we have a pretty clear example. Uh, General Mattis accepted an appointment with the Trump administration, was given the order to pull all troops out of Syria. He did not agree with that, and he resigned. And in a public uh, letter of resignation, he indicated that was the reason for his resignation. So you have an option to resign make your case publicly, and then move on with your life. If it's an illegal order, you're never going to obey it. That's where the character comes in, I guess. That is exactly where the character comes in. And and I like to think that the we've talked a lot about generals today. I like to think that the admirals in Sailing True North were men and women of character who would do the right thing in a circumstance like that. Retired Admiral James Stavridis, the author of Sailing True North, Ten Admirals and the Voyage of Character. Admiral, thank you very much. What a pleasure being on with you. Have a great day in Seattle. 
Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.